Osaka was ranked ninth, and Azarenka was ranked around 28th. Okay, as you said, uh, several of the top players dropped out. However, uh, it was still a major, and uh, you know, with that comes a lot of pressure and expectation. And uh, I think Osaka rose to the occasion and uh, reestablished herself as uh, one of the top players in the world. Welcome back to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Today, sports journalist Ed O'Devon joins the session, and also veteran sports writer and host of the Ice Time podcast, Jack Gallagher, is our guest. And I'm your host, Galileo. In today's session, Jack shares with us his thoughts of the 2020 sports calendar year and promising Japanese athletes taking the top of their field. Let's begin. In 2020, the Yomiuri Giants and Fukuoka Softbank Hawks met in the Japan Series for the second consecutive year. And once again, the Hawks were just dominating, swept the Giants for the second consecutive year, and won their fourth straight Japan Series title. In my view, it was really the biggest team sport accomplishment in 2020, the continuation of a dynasty that is now five titles in six years under manager Kimiyasu Kudo. What do you think, Jack, just about The organizational structure and the way they operate and have built that team to you know compete year after year. Well, I think it's clear that、uh, they've got a winning system they've put together with、uh, Sadaharu O as the chairman of the SoftBank、uh, team and、uh, Kudo as the manager. Four straight Japan Series titles in six in the last seven years. I mean, you're talking about. Dominance that's approaching the V9 giants of the 60s and early 70s is pretty incredible. You know, also what was interesting to me was the fact that, you know, Senga, their ace pitcher, Kodai Senga, you know, he's had the opportunity to start four straight、uh, game ones in the, in the Japan series. That's、uh, pretty unique in and of itself. Yeah, I don't, I don't ever recall hearing that.、Uh, I, I guess if we went back and looked at the Yankees, maybe Whitey Ford had started a lot of game ones in the World Series. But as far as the Japan Series goes, that sounds pretty rare to me. What I think,、uh, what I think the last、uh, four years and extending to the, the start of Kudo's reign with his five titles now, I think he's really joined the echelon of, of greatest managers in the history of the sport here. Yeah, I would agree with you, Ed.、Uh, he's up there now with Maury,、uh, his former manager at the Cebu Lions. You know, obviously, he's heading towards being one of the managerial legends of all time. And, and, and just a quick point as well about the organization when you have the, such a consistent level of winning, you know, it really entices, obviously, players to join the team. Free agents, you know, and guys just, you know, they want, they welcome trades to go there. Yeah, I agree. If,、uh, it, you know, everybody likes to be part of a winning organization because it's a, it's a lot more pleasant than,、uh, than when it's not winning. So、uh, when you build something like that, like you said, it's going to attract free agents and people are going to want to go there and they're going to want to stay there. Do you have a belief that they'll contend for a fifth consecutive title this year? I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean,、uh, the, the infrastructure and the core of the team is there. So I, I, I feel pretty confident that they'll be the front runners in the Pacific League again. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And、uh, we'll have to keep our eyes on that. Indeed. You know, we were talking a moment ago about the Giants and how they 
I'm sorry, the Hawks and how they won their fourth consecutive title, you know, even in the shortened season, 120 games because of the COVID pandemic. Um, but clearly they were the best team from start to finish. Nobody was surprised they beat the Giants and won it again. Now, looking ahead to individual sports, we wanted to highlight a few people that had real important achievements in 2020. I'm talking about Naomi Osaka in tennis, NBA rookie last year, Rui Hachimura of the Washington Wizards, and Indy, Indy 500 driver Takuma Sato. Um, I wanted to first ask you about Naomi Osaka. And we know it was a watered down uh, field for the U.S. Open. A lot of players decided not to compete. But in your opinion, how important was it for Osaka to win that title? Uh, as far as uh, her historical significance and even among the current crop of players, what does that do for her career? You know, as far as her reputation and just what maybe confidence? Well, I'll be very honest with you, Ed. I think it was a very important victory because, uh, you know, her ranking had dropped down to 10th in the world uh, running up to that. She only participated in four tournaments uh, last year because of the pandemic. Okay. And mm -hmm. uh, so uh, to be honest with you, I think if she had come out of that tournament, not winning, it would be uh, some question about her viability uh, going forward, but uh, she did win. And uh, she beat Azarenka in the final. And Azarenka at that time was uh, Osaka was ranked ninth and Azarenka was ranked around 28th. Okay, as you said, uh, several of the top players dropped out. However, uh, it was still a major. And, uh, you know, with that comes a lot of pressure and expectation. And uh, I think Osaka rose to the occasion and uh, reestablished herself as uh, one of the top players in the world. To me, to me, the most significant thing about the the final was how she was able to regroup after a calamitous first set. I believe it was 6-0 or 6-1. I'm forgetting which one. But she mentally uh, flipped the switch and, you know, came out and really just turned it on in the second set. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you're right, Ed. She was the first uh, woman to win the title after losing the first set since Arancha Sanchez Vicario in 1994. So it had been uh, 26 years since anybody had been able to do that. So that was a significant achievement. One other point about Osaka with 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 that particular tournament and that time of the year, you know, it, it came several weeks after uh, the real rise of national and international protests after the killing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement really picking up more steam as far as recognition. And people might argue that she was distracted by her social activism, wearing a mask with a different name each day of someone who had been victimized by the police. But she also found a way to concentrate on tennis as well. She had two main tasks during that tournament. And I think that shows a maturity in her career. Uh, I agree with you, Ed. And I will say that uh, I think one of the uh, significant moments in sports in general in the past years was that post-match interview she had after her victory yeah. When, uh, when she was asked about, uh, um, you know, her activism and so forth. And then she turned around and she asked the announcer, well, what do you think? Right. And I think that was a pretty, uh, a pretty interesting moment. It, it was. And, and, you know, 
And one of the key things with her was she wanted to start the conversation, get people talking about it. Maybe they don't agree with her point of view, but if people listen to each other and show empathy, that's what also what she's striving for. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, in addition to her, uh, her victory at the U S open, of course, her, uh, I don't even know what to call it anymore, but her collection of sponsors has also grown over the past 12 months. Most recently with, uh, in the last 10 days or so with Louis Vuitton signing her up. So she is obviously a big power, uh, off the court as well as on shifting, shifting to another sport and another athlete here. Indy, in the Indy 500, Takuma Sato won for a second time. It had been it had been several years since the previous victory, but to do it again in a sport where you're competing against 30 plus drivers, that's not an easy race to win. And uh, he's had you know some struggles in Indy five in the Indy circuit, but it shows his perseverance and his ability still in his early 40s to be a driver to be reckoned with. Yeah, I agree. Uh, auto racing is uh, is a very difficult sport to stay on top for a long period of time. And uh, I mean, we've seen it over the years with a few racers like, uh, you know, Schumacher and so forth. But uh, in the IndyCar, it's uh, it's a little different. And uh, like you said, it's uh there was a gap of a few years between his first victory and his second victory, but the fact that he did it, I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive because, you know, when you have to rely on a machine, that means you have to rely on a lot of people on your, your, uh, team, you know, working hard, your pit crew. And there's a lot of different elements in uh, auto racing that combine, uh, to make a victory. And, and in the sport, there is such a split second margin of error on every lap in qualifying in the race, as you get to the pit stop, as you get back out there after an, after a crash. And when, when you look at this particular past year, there were several weeks without any races. So the drivers were also operating under a calendar and their, their, their rhythm and their, you know, their everything, their instincts were thrown off by the pandemic. And, and for Sato himself, his first race of the year, he also crashed in qualifying and, you know, he couldn't compete. So it was a frustrating start. And that kind of compounded his uh, lack of rhythm, I think, in this, you know, as you look at the year. But his team did a great job in setting him up and he really rose to the occasion. It was a very inspiring story. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. Ed. Uh, racing infrequently is obviously very difficult because in that sport, you rely on your reflexes an incredible amount. Right. And to be sidelined for weeks or months at a time and then to try to flip it back on. Not easy to do. You know, and as we talk about racing, it kind of shifts. Um, it shifts to basketball, too, where players that don't play a lot and you're inactive, you lose your you lose your um, your mechanics a bit, too. You lose your your learned uh, your reflexes and just your moves, the way you react to a defense. You know. You want it to be automatic. And when we think about the rookie season for Hachimura, he started off okay, pretty good. And then he was sidelined for almost roughly two months because of the groin injury where a teammate of his actually accidentally kicked him. And then he was sitting down and couldn't play. He comes back and plays well for a couple of weeks. And then, bam, the pandemic you know, hits. 
March 11th, the NBA shuts down after um, Rudy Gobert, the Jazz, tests positive. So between March 11th and uh, late July, there was no NBA season. So Rui Hachimura is working out. You know, he's quarantined. He's waiting, waiting, waiting. He's 21 years old. Uh, this was difficult for him, but um, he came back energized at the NBA bubble. And and to his credit, he made all NBA rookies second team and was the leading rebounder among rookies last year, in addition to uh, 13 plus points a game. Right. Uh, and uh, to be honest with you, if he hadn't had the groin injury, uh, that alone, I think he would have been a first team all NBA rookie selection. I think there's no question about that. That was very unfortunate because he was starting to build momentum when he got hurt. And then, uh, you know, it's it's tough enough when something like that happens. And then to try to get yourself back into condition uh, is really difficult in, in game condition. And then the pandemic comes and then, you know, so it's just, I mean, uh, very, very, very uh, tough situation for a rookie player coming from college to the pros, you know, in college, they play about 35 games in the pros. They're supposed to play 82. So it's much, much different. It's more than twice, uh, twice as long. Now he was injured in uh, the pandemic. He didn't end up playing that many, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I think in the face of the challenges that he did a very good job. And I think the Washington organization and uh, the rest of the NBA is very impressed by him. I, I think he showed um, that he's really a hard worker and he's very earnest with the press and with the fans and with his coaches and with his teammates. He really takes to heart criticism and, you know, suggestions on how to improve. And uh, I think that's a real plus for the organization. Well, I agree, Ed. And uh, it's noteworthy that Hachimura went to Gonzaga for three years. And in that respect, he's more of a throwback to the old days where players went to college for four years and uh, matured and uh, actually grew from, uh, you know, young men into adults. Uh, that's that's something we're not, you know, nowadays we're seeing these kids coming in with just one year of college yeah. and uh, it. You know, you're starting to see a lot of uh, problems with adjustment and so forth, and uh, not just on the floor, but off the floor. But Hachimura's maturity and uh, his Japanese values, I think, uh, of hard work and dedication, uh, again, very, very impressive all the way around to the people in the NBA. In Hachimura's second year, we've seen some uh, a big trade happen to the Wizards uh, this year with Westbrook coming in, but he's been out hurt um, for a couple of games. Um, and then Beal's been taking lead of the show now Now that Wall's, Wall's been traded to the, to the Rockets. Um, what kind of, I guess, future can you expect for um, Hachimura based on his, like his seniors that are around him? And what kind of player do you think he, he'll turn out to be or do you wish for him to turn out to be in the next coming years? I, th I think... Uh... I think he was wise in working on his outside shooting in the past off season. Mm. His three point shot is, is not his biggest strength. He's trying to make that more of a weapon for him on offense. So he's a powerful inside player. So becoming more of a consistent outside shooter is important. And also defensively, he needs to, you know, adjust to what happens on the fly a little bit more. But when you look at the wizards, they're generally a poor defensive team as a unit. Mm. So 
those two things could make him a more accomplished NBA player. I think he's physically, he's got the body and the size and the strength and the speed to have a good career. Maybe a guy that can play 10 years, maybe more if he stays healthy. The organization is changing so much from what, from two years ago to now. I think it's hard to say if he will be there forever or if he will be a guy that might be traded somewhere else or, you know, it's really hard to say like what predict what that team will do. Uh, They had a stretch of like five, six years where they had some terrible draft picks and they had some huge contracts and they really couldn't make any upgrades to the roster. So they've really changed on the fly with the current, uh, general manager, Tommy Shepard, who's only been there about a year and a half now. So the verdict is really not decided yet on that team. Yeah. I mean, uh, as somebody who worked in the NBA for several years, uh, I will say that uh, I'm a little concerned about the presence of Westbrook on the Wizards in that he he's he dominates the ball a lot. And uh, I just, you know, I'm not sure that that's really a good thing for Hachimura at this point. I mean, I'd like to see him in more of a balance type uh, situation. And uh, I mean, there's already rumors, you know, they've struggled out of the gate here in the first, you know, 12 games or whatever it is. And there's already rumors about Scott Brooks and uh, his future as the coach of the team. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I think the general manager and the owner really like Hachimura. And uh, I think they want to keep him around. So I would say that uh, it's more likely that he's going to be there longer than the coach or Russell Westbrook. Jack, just as a as a marketing and PR from a marketing and a PR standpoint, as someone who had worked in PR in the NBA, how significant is it for the Japanese market for Hachimura to be to be there and for be and as a fan and uh, you know a role model for kids? Well, I think it's huge. I mean, uh, all you have to do is look at what uh, Yao Ming did for the sport in China, right? And uh, I mean, Hachimura, Japan has really been. Uh, you know, needing somebody like this, a significant uh, frontline player who uh, has the ability for growth. So I think, uh, you know, as long as he stays healthy and uh, can keep uh, contributing and improving, I think it's going to be a very significant thing. It, it may take a few years, but we know that the Wizards are considering Japan a very important market going forward, and I'm sure the NBA is too, and I think there's no doubt that once this pandemic subsides and things get back to a sense of normalcy, that the Wizards will be coming to Japan to play you know, some games. I think that's, a, that's automatic. So Jack, thank you for your time today. And uh, we love your insight. We love your wisdom and experience. Um, and we look forward to speaking with you again next time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. This was the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Visit our website for more information about our podcast and other breaking news from Japan. Catch you next time.